Wow, how exciting. <laughs> it really is. Now, we look forward to the day when we can have the masks off, but this is exciting to be together, uh, to worship one, you know, seeing everybody all at the same time. And again, next week, we really look forward to baptism. So if you need to get baptized, and, and you do, if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you haven't done that yet, it's your first step of obedience, come talk to me after the service, and we would love to get you in on that awesomeness next week. Um, every now and then... The Bible is really relevant. And really, it's always relevant. But every now and then, the culture just kind of gift gift wraps applications. Uh, And we've had one of those very recently and right now. Uh, Maybe you're following the Supreme Court nominee and all that stuff that goes around with that. Um, Amy Coney Barrett, who who our president has nominated for the Supreme Court, he nominated her three years ago for another court. And during her uh, evaluation, this was said uh, by one of the senators. Religion has dogma, and referring to Barrett, the dogma lives loudly within you, and that's of concern. Why, why would that be of concern? So I looked up the word dogma. You know, what, what, what is the, the definition? And dogma is a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. A dogma. Let me read that again. A principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. That's a big word. That's what a dogma is. And the problem that they had with her and have with her is that she has an authority and she believes she has an authority and some beliefs that fit in that. Uh, I showed a video a few years ago of this encounter between Bernie Sanders and and, uh, Russell Vogt. And he said this. Bernie Sanders said this, Christian beliefs are indefensibly hateful and insulting and not what this country is supposed to be about. And what was his issue with this Christian trying to get a role? His issue was the exclusive claims of Jesus. He, he, Bernie Sanders uh, can continue to repeat uh, that if you think Muslims are condemned, you're hateful. If you think Jews might be condemned, anybody, if, if you could say that your belief is true and others are condemned for not agreeing, for not believing it, then that is hateful, and that's not what we're to be about. Now, these are just two examples, but they represent, I think, a larger population in our country and around the world of those who would say, you, if you claim an exclusive truth, are hateful, arrogant, I mean, go down the list. So here's the question for today. How should we believe and how should we communicate regarding the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How should we believe and how should we communicate regarding the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, I have to tell you this. As we look at Acts chapter 4 today, this, uh, this struggle people have with Christianity is not new. Not at all. Uh, You know, we see these coexist bumper stickers and people think that's new. Oh, we are enlightened now because we realize that everything can be true and everybody can believe what they want uh, and then we can just coexist. We can all just get along. Some people think that's new and the enlightened of our society has gotten through this whole religious dogma and arrived at this this place uh, that all of us should aspire to be. But that's nothing new. In fact, we see here in the New Testament that these were some of the first problems they had with the church. Look with me at Acts chapter 4.
They're also Jewish still. And so they go to the temple. And as they go into the temple, there's a man lame from birth, never been able to walk. Uh, and, and he's asking for money. He's been there for, he's over 40 years old. So he's been there for decades, probably begging for money. And he's asking for money. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but what I can give to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And he gets up. And this is the picture we painted last week. If you missed it, you know, check out the podcast. But he gets up, and, and remember, lame since birth, his legs were probably like this. And he gets up and starts leaping and jumping and running around in the temple. And so a crowd gathers around, and Peter points to him as the example then for the sermon he's going to share, that the truth is in Jesus Christ. And then the religious leaders come in and take John and take Peter, and that's where we're going to pick it up. Uh, Acts chapter 4. Verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So again, we pointed this out last week. This is a big movement. You know, 5,000, they referred to the men. This doesn't count women and children. So there are 10,000 or more Christians now in Jerusalem, brand new believers. And here, these uh, John and Peter are arrested and they have to spend the night. The Sadducees here, you see, they're part of this. And what's the Sadducees' problem? They're teaching about the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees were a group of, of leaders, of religious leaders, they were Jewish, but they didn't believe there was any kind of resurrection. And so they're taking issue with that, where they're saying, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. Believe in him, and someday you will also raise from the dead, rise from the dead. That was the problem that they had. And so you, you see here, it's, it's political. These are the leaders, again, religious leaders. These are the same group that killed Jesus just a couple months before. Look at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers... And elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. This is a, this is a high class group. I mean, these are the high priests all in his family. I mean, this is, these are the people I, you would want to be talking to. Verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, time out before we move on. What's their question? Their question isn't, did you heal this guy? Because everybody knew they healed this guy. This guy that everybody had seen for decades was now running and, and jumping and leaping. And, and probably, is the, I mean, just picture this. When they arrest him, they're carrying him out. He's probably skipping next to him. You know, like, where are we going? Hey, what's going I mean, the example is right there. And so they're not asking, did you actually heal this guy or what kind of trick? It's obvious it happened. Their question was, by what name did you do this? Where's the authority behind this? This is in your notes if you're a note taker. People were and continued to be offended by the claim that Jesus is the only way to be saved. People were and continue to be offended by the claim that Jesus is the only way to be saved. This was offensive, especially to these Jews, because these are also Jews. You know, these first Christians are Jews. They accepted the Old Testament as scriptures. 
the sermon that Peter just preached, he referred to Moses and the prophets and basically building on everything that these religious leaders believed on the Old Testament. They said, all this points to Jesus. Jesus is the culmination. So you who, who think you're right with God by your religion, now you're out if you don't accept Jesus. That's very offensive. You are all wrong, is what he's basically saying. But now look at verse 9. It says, uh, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He goes right to it. Jesus is the name. Jesus is the power. The name of Jesus is offensive to them. And isn't that the case now? I mean, in all honesty, the name of Jesus is offensive. But Peter is bold. By the way, we've been talking about being filled with the Spirit. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What does it look like, a Spirit-filled church? This is what a person looks like when they're Spirit-filled. And just kind of a side note, you know, filling of the Spirit, uh, you know, there can be some, some confusion with that. When you are saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, done. He, he comes to reside in you forever. This filling of the Spirit is more of the power coming on, uh, which doesn't necessarily come and go, but kind of. There's times when God empowers people at, at, a, at a certain time, and this is kind of one of those, where, where he is being filled with the Spirit. He is being empowered by God to give this message. Jesus had warned them before. He said, when you stand before rulers to give an account, don't plan on what, you know, don't script out your sermon ahead of time. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And so Peter here is speaking, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he quotes Psalm 118, 22. He keeps going back to their scriptures, which were also our scriptures. And, and he quotes Psalm 118, 22, which is speaking about salvation and what God would do and speaking about the cornerstone. And in Psalm 118, it says the cornerstone will be rejected by the kings and authorities. Just what's happening right here. Those who claim to believe the Old Testament, that all point to Jesus, they say you are rejecting the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? A cornerstone, uh, so I, I used to do foundation work, and, and we didn't really do cornerstones. Uh, but if you ever watch anybody laying out a house, they set a point. And then from that point, they pull everything else. You know, and sometimes you have to change that point if you mess it up the first time. But you set that one point, and once it's set, everything builds from there. They did it the same back then. They would set one stone, the cornerstone, a nice square, heavy, boom, set it. And they would pull from there, and they would build from there. And he's saying Jesus is the cornerstone. If you reject Jesus, your whole house crumbles. Your whole religion, your whole belief system crumbles if Jesus isn't the cornerstone. And he is the cornerstone, but he says, you rejected him. Jesus is the foundation for truth. And then if, if you're uh, thinking, you know, get to the point, he gets to the point in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. Peter does not dodge the question at all. Peter is not trying to be political at all. He says there is no other name 
You're asking about the name that healed this man? It's Jesus. And it's the same name that gives salvation. And there is no other name. The New Testament is consistent in claiming that Jesus is the only way. Very consistent. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 3, 18. Let me find it here. John 3.18, Jesus says, verse 17, I'll start there. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is why Bernie Sanders had such a problem. Because Russell Vogt believed there is one way, and it's Jesus. And he says, if you believe anybody could be condemned by not believing in Jesus, you're hateful and wrong. Well, he's calling Jesus hateful then, because this is Jesus speaking right here. If you don't believe in the Son of God, Jesus says you are condemned already. A person cannot accept Jesus or the Bible and think that he is one way among many. Think about that. The idea of of coexist sounds good. It really does. Let's be tolerant. Let's be loving. But here's the truth of this. You cannot accept scripture and reject its exclusivity. You cannot believe in Jesus and reject his exclusivity. Uh, It comes back to C.S. Lewis's argument, Lord, liar, or lunatic. Those who say, you know, Jesus was a good man. Or Jesus was a prophet. You know, he was a prophet from God. But he wasn't God in flesh. He isn't the only way. Jesus claimed to be God in flesh. Read John. Jesus claimed these things. He claimed to be, we just read it, the only way to the Father. So he couldn't be good if he's not actually the only way. He couldn't be good if he's not God in flesh. So he's either a liar, which means he's not good, or he's a lunatic, or he's who he claimed to be, the Lord of all, and the only way. You can't have Jesus and also anything else. It is exclusive. And that's the problem with this claim, is that it is exclusive. So we see this is true. If we're going to accept Scripture, and by the way, in groups this week, uh, and if you're not in a group, grab your bulletin and fill it out and put, I'm interested in a group. Because in group is where we wrestle with what we're learning here. We ask questions. uh, We go through life together. But in groups, some of our first questions are going to be about the Bible because the Bible is our foundation for belief. And so we stand on this as true. If, if this isn't true, then all of our faith is in vain. Have fun discussing that in group. But I want to address two objections because here the Bible is very, very clear. Jesus is the only way. So I want to talk about some of the objections we hear and how to address those. Objection one. Christians are arrogant for claiming Jesus is the only way. Christians are arrogant for claiming Jesus is the only way. We've heard this. Who are you to think you have the truth? You're claiming to be enlightened. You're claiming to know something I don't know. That's arrogant of you. And this is illustrated uh, by an old story that comes from from Hinduism. And you've probably heard this, where there's uh, three men in a dark room with an elephant. And they're all touching a different part of the elephant. And one, you know, is touching the trunk. Or sometimes the story is told they're blind men. One is touching the trunk and saying, oh, it's a snake. And another one is is touching the leg and saying, no, it's a tree. 
And then another one is touching the back and saying, no, it's a throne. And so the, the, the moral of the story is that we're all blind, and, and we see a, each religion sees a piece of the truth, and later, you know, we'll see the whole thing and realize, oh, we only had part. And so the right way is to, to accept all is true and humbly go, we only know part of it. And so if you claim, you know, I'm holding the trunk and I, this is a snake, well, you're wrong because it's an elephant. The illustration of that story, again, that, the point is to accept one another. But here's the problem with that story. There's somebody in the story to, that's claiming to have the truth. Right? The narrator of the story. The, the one telling the story is claiming to be able to see it all. And so even that is an exclusive claim. Every claim, any truth claim, is an exclusive claim, right? Bernie Sanders saying, you can't believe that. He's saying he's wrong, and now he's claiming to have an exclusive truth. Any belief is exclusive. The idea that all roads lead to heaven is exclusive. Because they're saying they have the truth and we as Christians do not. And so you can say the same thing on the other side. Well, well, then that's arrogant to think that that side is true. Answer one, every belief is exclusive. Every belief is exclusive. Think about it. Any kind of belief is exclusive. And the problem that people have now with Christianity is that not just what we believe, that we believe we have the only way or we have the right way. You know, again, Bernie Sanders' issue with him was what he actually believed. And they say, if we become enlightened, then we can't actually believe this anymore. Now, here's the other thing about that story. What if the ele elephant spoke? You know, oh, it's a, it's a tree, it's a snake. What if the elephant was like, hey, I'm an elephant, you dummy? <laughs> we believe the elephant. God has spoken. We have Jesus, God in flesh, came and said, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. So God has spoken. God has given us the truth. And so it's not arrogant because we're not smart enough to come up with this. Right? Look at every religion that man has invented it's all works-based. It's all you have to do some things. And that's the way we want it, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot easier. Tell me what to do, and I'll do that. The true gospel, what, what God has given us, is simply by faith, by grace. God does all the work. If we invent, we wouldn't come up with this on our own. God has revealed it. God spoke. God stepped in. We are saved by God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice, not by any personal merit. Look at uh, Acts 3.12. After the man is healed, Peter says this. And when Peter saw and he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter accepted no, uh, nothing about himself. It wasn't that he, uh, he wasn't that I'm holier, you know, or I've arrived, or I'm in line. He says it's by Jesus. He points it back to Jesus. And look at verse 13 after Peter speaks. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. What was special about these men? That they had been with Jesus. Jesus is what was special, not them. I mean, read the Gospels. Jesus over and over is chiding them for their ignorance, for stumbling along. The movement of the Gospel throughout the world 
throughout history has never been a movement among the elites. Look at who Jesus hung out with. The sinners, the poor, the wretched. It's the poor, it's the hurting, it's the weak that see their need. It's the hurting, the weak, those down that go, I know I can't do it. I'm humbled anyway. And so when they hear about this grace, they're quick to receive it. It's, it's the rich. You know, Jesus said it's, it's more difficult for a, a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The point is, if we're rich, we're powerful, we're strong, we think we can do it. Now, obviously, many of the elites and many of the rich do make it in, absolutely. But it's more difficult because they go, no, I can do it. But the message of the gospel is, no, you can't do it. God did it for you. And so it's not arrogant because we're saying we didn't figure it out. We're saved by grace. It's, we're not better. We didn't try hard and get there. It's all about Jesus. And let me say this. An arrogant Christian does not understand the gospel. It doesn't make sense. Objection two. Religion is just personal preference. Right? Religion is just personal preference. Our society is there. You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. It's just preference. Maybe you've heard of the philosopher Kant, and he wrote this. Religions are subjectively helpful, but not objectively true. All right, those of you in school, you want to get some good grades in English, let's learn these words. Subjective and objective. He said religions are subjectively helpful, but not objectively true. What's the difference between subjective and objective? Something subjective can be based on preference. Like right now, it's a little hot in here. But some of you are like, no, it's a little cold in here. That's subjective. You know, you can feel that way and I can feel this way. Some of us are like, I love the masks. Some of us are like, I hate the masks. That's sub subjective. Objective truth is true, right? It's true. Zach and Katie, they're sitting right there. That's true. I mean, you could say, no, they're not. You could argue with it. But objective truth is something that's true and always true. It's a fact. And so, answer one to that one. Because absolute truth is a fact, we must seek for truth, not preference. Now, again, this is, this is big in our society. And so I want to paint this picture a little bit better for us. This is... Popular. This is what you're going to learn in school. This is what you're going to learn if you go to college. This is going to be pushed on you that it's all about preference. Uh, we built a house this past year. My parents came to visit to help out for a while. Um, and my dad took a, a load to the dump. We live in Johnson Lane. And you can take a dirt road from our driveway and get to the east side of Carson City. And you can pop out on Deer Run Road and you're really close to the landfill. And so he gets in. He's like, how should I get to the dump? I said, well, you could go the roads. Or you can take the back dirt road through the desert, and that's kind of a fun, all right, which way do I go? Well, you go that way, and there's a point where you hang a right, and then where you hang a left. And, you know, he left and didn't hear from him, <laughs> didn't hear from him, and he called. He's like, hey, uh, I think my phone's about to die. I'm not sure how much gas I have, and I'm still in the desert. I'm like, you made a wrong turn. <laughs> You're going. He's like, well, I'm on a dirt road. I feel like if I just keep following it, I'll hit something, right? I said, this is Nevada. No. <laughs> you should probably turn around. He's like, I'm sure I'll hit something. No, no, no. You might hit Elko. <laughs> I mean, you might get to Idaho. I, no. Um, and he's like, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, later found out he kept going. And luckily he ran into somebody. And that somebody's like, oh, yeah, you don't want to keep going this way. You need to go that way. And he ended up in Spring Creek or uh, 
Silver Springs. Yeah, he ended up in Silver Springs. So a, a little bit off. Uh, but, but, it, but imagine that, right? He needed to get to the dump. You can't just go whatever way you want and, and get to the dump. If you want to go to Eureka, how are you going to get there? The 50. It's the only way to get there, <laughs> you know. Uh, put some people out in the desert again and say, hey, find Dayton. You know, well, which way is it? It's west. Ask all four of them, which way is west? And they all do different direction. Only one's going to get there. We know this is true. And so it's not arrogant. Again, it's not arrogant to point to the truth if it's true and God revealed it and it's not preference. It's true. God has revealed himself. He loves us. He gave his life for us. And so that moves to answer two. There is one God who provides salvation through Jesus alone and invites you, just as you are, to enter into relationship with him. Here's why I think this is important. The idea, you know, the, that it comes at us that, you know, we're, we're arrogant, you know, or intolerant, whatever it is. What if the Bible's true? Have you ever asked it that way? What if it's true? What if there is one God? What if sin did break our relationship with him? What if he did take on flesh and die on a cross a horrible death? What if it was true that God in flesh, Jesus, the night he was betrayed, what if it was true he was praying? And said, God, if there's another way, can we take that? What if that happened? What if he was so stressed about what he was going to go through, he was sweating uh, drops of blood. And he said, God, is there another way? Can we do it? And the answer he got was, no, there's one way. And Jesus said, then I'll take that one way. I'll go to the cross. What if that's true? And then he rose from the dead. And salvation, he says, is only possible through him. Then is it arrogant and intolerant to tell people that? Or is it the most loving thing you could ever do? I'd argue it's the most loving thing you could ever do. If it's true, we need to believe it. If it's true, people need to believe it. And there's a way we can share it. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter. You know, be ready, but share with, with gentleness and meekness. There's a way to share it that's not arrogant, but is loving. And so I would say every belief is exclusive. But true biblical Christianity is the most inclusive of all exclusivity. Think, think about it. It is the most inclusive of all exclusivity because God says, come as you are. It says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say, go behave or go do these things. It says, come as you are and you will be saved. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter whatever sin you've done. It doesn't matter. Come to him. It's all based on what he has done. So it is the most inclusive of all exclusivity. Now let me say this. Once you come to Jesus, he'll start to change you. He'll start to work on your heart and you will look a bit different. But he doesn't say fix yourself and then come. He says come. Come as you are. I mean, I just love Jesus' invitations. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus' invitation. And it is exclusive and that's okay. And that's okay. We're gonna move to praise. We're gonna sing again. And I hope, my, my prayer is that for you, you're overwhelmed by the grace of God as we look at this. That's what, that's what should happen in our hearts. As we look at, there is one way. 
Jesus took that one way. What he sacrificed, that leads up us to praise. You know, I love the song we sang, hallelujah. I just love that word, hallelujah. Because you ever want to praise God and you can't come up with the words? Hallelujah, a great word, because that's all it's for. It's all for just praising God. So let's praise him for who he is. You know, get a big picture of God. And if you're in here and you've struggled with this, come talk to me. If you're in here and you realize there is only one way, and what Peter would say, what John would say, what Jesus would say is, how do you respond? Repent. Meaning turn. Turn to Jesus. Accept him as Lord of your life. If you've never done that, come talk to me in the back. I want to talk to you. If you have questions, I'm not going to pressure you, maybe a little, but I'll answer your questions or I'll pray with you. And then, maybe next week you can get baptized. Again, no pressure on that one. Or, Maybe you have believed and you need to be baptized. Come talk to me or fill out your card and put that in and we'll get a hold of you and we can do that next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the truth. Uh, Thank you that you make sense. Uh, You don't make so much sense that we can fully understand you because then you wouldn't be God anymore. But I do thank you that you make enough sense that we can get it. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work your work of enlightening, uh, your work of convicting, your, your work of pointing toward truth. Holy Spirit, I ask you, I beg of you to work among us and through us. Work in our communities. God, there are so many people out there hurting. Jesus, you gave us your mission. You said, I came to seek and save the lost. God, we look at these people lost that don't know they're lost. And it's not arrogant for us to, to want to help them find you. And you want that as well. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, you would convict hearts and draw them to believers. Believers from this church, believers from other churches in town, draw the people there. Draw the people here. God, and I pray that you would stir in us a heart of worship. God, you are so great. You are perfect. You are loving. And God, we humbly say thank you. By grace, we are saved, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.